It's episode 371 of Monster Kid Radio, the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear. I'm your writer, host, producer, Derek M. Cook. I want to welcome you to week four of Lucha de Mayo here on Monster Kid Radio. Five weeks in the month of May, talking about nothing but luchador monster movies, and I thought it would be appropriate to open up this episode with a song from a band based out of Mexico, based out of Playa del Carmen. I'm sorry, I can't roll my R's, but they're based out of Playa del Carmen in Mexico. The band is called the Snorkel Surfers. This is their song, Viernes de Quincena. It's from their album, Live at the Jam Room, Playa del Carmen. Check them out at snorkelsurfers.bandcamp.com when you're done listening to this episode of the podcast. So this week, we've got another new voice on the show. I have a survey over at monsterkidradio.net that you can go to and click on and tell me who you are and what kind of movies you'd like to talk about here on the show. Sometimes I'm not so good about getting back to people like this guy. Jonathan Inbody is joining me this week. Now, he is a fellow podcaster, relatively new to the podosphere, but he's been listening to the show for a while, and it was a thrill to have him on the show to talk about a movie from 1973. Santo Contra los Asesinos de Altros Mundos. Yeah, I I know I'm butchering the Spanish language, and I am so sorry. If you run that title through, like, Google Translate, it comes back as Holy Against the Murderers of Other Worlds. The movie might also be known as Santo and the Killers from Other Worlds. Or Santo versus The Blob. This movie, man. (laughs) Oh, man, I can't wait to share the conversation that Jonathan and I had about this movie with you guys and gals. We're going to be doing that here in a second. Before we get to that point, I want to go ahead and mention that uh, because of just various things going on in our lives and various health issues, uh, there's not going to be a feedback section this week, and uh, we're not even going to have the um, Monster Collectible segment, so even though Michael Dodd did send a whole bunch of those ahead of time, setting up Brenda to be able to record comfortably just wasn't an option this time around. I apologize, and I know that she apologizes from the bottom of her heart. We will be back with her with the Monster Collectible segment next time. We're hoping fingers and tentacles crossed. Plus, I got a really cool email that I'd love to share with you guys and gals from, well, a really cool person. But, again, not happening this week. We're going to wait until next week when Brenda can join us. However, what we do have this week is a voicemail, so a short little bit of feedback from Jeff Pullier. He went to a local screening at Weird Wednesday last week to see, well, (laughs) if you read the show notes, you know what it was, but I'll let him tell you, and you're going to hear that right after this. Welcome to an evening with Karloff, the master of menace in five fright-filled features. Watch breathlessly as the coffin opens to release the terror duck. <laughs> it's only a gal and bulls, the raven. Join Boris Karloff. In the most gruesome day of the undead, Black Sabbath. And there are two more blood-chilling delights. Die, monster, die. And who knows? You may die. Laughing at the comedy of terrors. Five of Karloff's creepiest capers. 
in nightmare colors. And you are invited. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jason Giaconetti. You may recognize my voice from the Vault of Starling Monster Horror Tales of Terror. And if you don't, you should be listening. But today I need to ask you a few questions. Do you like big bugs and you cannot lie? Other robots just can't deny that when the Queen of Space walks in and puts a blast in your face that your gears get sprung? Are you deep in the bee we're sharing? Are you hooked and you can't stop staring? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then have I got a podcast for you. Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. From classics to cults and all the yummy, yummy cheese in between. Look for my new show, Bots, Bugs, and Babes, on the Two True Freaks Network and on iTunes. That's Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B-Movie Podcast. Double J on the Triple B is your hookup. Holler if you hear me. the Triffids, when terror reigned from the sky. The day of the Triffids, when the Earth orbits into a nightmare. When the solid world of everyday reality disintegrates. The whole population is driven by fear towards insanity. The day of the Triffids, when destruction closes in from every side. Pilot, sheep line two. It's going to be starvation, fire, pestilence. Anyone caught in the middle of it doesn't stand a chance. I think we ought to get out of here and go on to Spain. How can you know it's any better there? I don't. It doesn't seem to have any central nervous system. Then how does it move? All plants move. And they don't usually pull themselves out of the ground and chase you. You have never been married? No. Why? I guess I've never been in one spot long enough to get caught. And now you are saddled with a family. It might have its points. The day of the Triffids, when law and order are overwhelmed in an avalanche of terror. Hi, Garrett and other Monster Kids. This is Jeff. And I'm calling with a weird Wednesday report from last week, where the movie was The Incredibly Strange Creatures Who Stopped Living and Became Mixed-Up Zombies. I I say it that way because the title ends with two exclamation points and a question mark. Uh, This was, well, it it lives up to the title. It's a weird Wednesday. It it was weird, and it was on Wednesday. So, um... (laughs) This had the, the ideas, I think, of a good movie, but wasn't handled great. 
the first time we see the main character, uh, he's with his best friend, and JJ and I both thought that the best friend was going to be the leading guy because he was the handsome, you know, kind of elvishy guy. No, it was kind of the homely-looking guy uh, that was the star. And the reason he was the star is that he also directed the movie. So he he got to pick the role for himself. It was a weird tale of manipulation and revenge with some really stereotypical uh, gypsy stuff. Uh, you had an actress playing a gypsy that was clearly, uh, I don't want to say blackface, but kind of brownface. I mean, clearly they put makeup on her to make her look darker-skinned than she naturally was, and the wart was just comical. Uh, the dancing scenes, there were a lot of them. As JJ said, it looks like they got leftovers from some Vegas shows after they had closed, and the dancers weren't that great. Uh, why the, the the main character and the other, Jerry, that is, and the others uh, were transformed, and, you know, I understand the hypnotism thing, uh, why they, they were mutated is not really explained. Uh, there was one visually beautiful scene right at the end when, uh, they're, they're, have the tumbling camera towards the ocean to show him, uh, falling into the water. Uh, that was really good and it was, uh, from what I read, it was making up for uh, them throwing a dummy off was just looked terrible. Even by this film standards, apparently it looked terrible. So they did this scene, this camera trick that looked really good instead. Is it worth seeing? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, if you got an hour and a half to kill and it's on YouTube, okay. Uh, <laughs> it's not something uh, I particularly need to see again. But uh, it was fun. Anyway, that's what's going on. I hope you're all having a great time, and I'll call again soon with another Weird Wednesday report. Look, then run for your life. Incredible is the word for the world's first monster musical. See in magnificent Eastman color, the daring, dancing, enticing, and horrifying, the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed-up zombies. From the innocence of music and laughter comes the twilight of terror. Along the midway, scantily clad dancers luring the young lovers into the sideshows. See the dancing girls of the carnival murdered by the incredible night creatures of the midway. I will know that something evil lies ahead for me. An unspeakable pit of dismal subhuman monsters who drew gibber, moaning for the thrill of revenge. Incredible are the songs, the gaiety, the zombie stomp of those who will stop living. And then the mix-up, trickery, and the device to ruin. See the hunchback of the midway fight a duel of death with the mixed-up zombies. Turning men into monsters, twisted, tormented human vultures, yearning to kill. Incredible creatures clutching at the thin threads of their miserable lives. Human vultures, only the weird zombies remain. Who is the woman branded in birth wearing the ward of horror? Do as Madame Estrella said. The world's first monster musical.
the incredibly strange creatures who stopped living and became mixed up zombies. Jeff, thanks for calling that in. I um, ended up not sticking around for the screening. And, you know, the biggest reason was I'd seen this movie repeatedly. This actually came up quite a bit during the old podcast that I used to do pre-Monster Kid Radio. I used to do a zombie show, and this movie, because it had kind of sort of zombie elements, did come up a lot in conversation. I think Scott Morris brought it up a lot because he thought it was funny. Uh, just, well, the title is funny. In fact, he and I talked about this movie in an old episode of that old podcast. I think the movie has a certain sense of charm. I just ended up leaving, uh, you know, that wasn't the originally planned movie to be shown at Weird Wednesday that night. And man, I had the show to get done. Yeah, I had things I needed to get done. So, you know, I said my goodbyes to Jeff and Dominique, who was there as well, and Jeff Martin, the man who rules Wednesday night with Weird Wednesdays at the Joy Cinema in Tigard, Oregon. Again, Jeff, thank you for calling that in, man. I have searched for a unique way whereby a motion picture audience can actually decide the climax of a picture. I have found such a way. My latest picture, Mr. Sodonicus, offers something no audience has ever had before. The power to determine the fate of a character on the screen. The power to punish. In ancient Rome, spectators could decree life or death to a gladiator by indicating thumbs up or thumbs down. During the French Revolution, the mobs could condemn a man by merely shouting to the guillotine. In the early West, vigilantes took the law into their own hands. Today, for the first time, the awful power to punish will be yours. After you see the evil events that made Mr. Sodonicus what he was, you will decide what should be done to him. You will now see some scenes from the picture. The face of Mr. Sodonicus will not be shown because I realize that some people in this audience might be adversely affected by it. Those of you who come to see Mr. Sodonicus will understand why. Mr. Sardonicus. What makes his name strike terror? Sardonicus? Why were you frightened? Uh, sir, you would not understand. You are young. You do not yet have daughters. Why does his wife live in abject fear? If you do not heal him, he will punish me. Surely he wouldn't beat you. His cleverness knows a more hideous torture. What strange attraction did young women have for him? What secrets are hidden behind his doors? Mr. Sardonicus. His deeds formed a fabric of nightmares. His face, the face of Sardonicus, can be described only in the eyes of its beholders.
Pontius Adonicus, in spite of all his cruelties, some people will think he deserves mercy. Others will feel that no punishment could be too severe. When you come to see Mr. Sidonicus, you will receive a, a ballad like this. At a certain point in the picture, you will vote thumbs up or thumbs down. His punishment will depend on the result of your vote. Five, four, three, two, one. Blast off for the fantastic Space Age Shock Show, The Wizard of Mars, starring John Carradine. The Wizard of Mars. Never before in the history of motion picture technology has there been anything like the frightening new dimension of ultra-depth. It's not 3D, it's new. The most thrilling movie experience of all time. The Wizard of Mars dares you to remain seated as gigantic fireballs crash out of the screen and explode over your head. The Wizard of Mars double dares you to remain in the theater as a Martian electrical storm crashes into the audience. The Wizard of Mars triple dares you to retain control of your mind as telepathic creatures attack your brain, crash diving into a thundering time storm to experience the most incredible screen journey ever taken. A beautiful girl and three desperate men against the fury of Mars. The alien beauty of the Martian landscape and the glistening subterranean Martian canals as you ride the rapids into the fiery depths of the Martian underworld. Journey through the valley of fire at the center of the red planet. Enter, if you dare, the haunted Martian city of the dead. Beware of the ghost-like creatures who refuse to die. Encounter the Colossus of the Universe, the mighty Wizard of Mars, conqueror of a thousand worlds, master of the stars. Witness a battle with a gigantic spiked pendulum of death at the center of time. See the Holocaust as two great universal forces destroy the mighty Martian time dome. Don't miss The Wizard of Mars, starring John Carradine as the Wizard, with this great cast at a specially equipped theater or drive-in in Ultra Death, color by Deluxe. How often has this happened to you? You're on your way home after a long day when suddenly tragedy strikes. No human mind could imagine the enormous destructive power of this maddened, killing thing. Professor, there's a big lizard back there and he's heading this way. Now get aboard! It's the kind of thing which can ruin your weekend. To prevent catastrophe, you need the Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack. This book features extensively researched methods to help you survive a giant monster event. You'll discover which vehicle you should use for making your escape, which method of counterattack is best for specific types of monsters. Hydrogen weapons, capable of wiping cities, countries off the face of the earth, are completely ineffective against this creature from the skies. And what common mistakes people make while fighting back. So pick up your copy of The Handbook for Surviving a Giant Monster Attack by Anthony Wendell today on Amazon. You can thank us by surviving.
This is Count Dracula, and I'm here to offer you a friendly warning. Derek and his guests often get excited, and occasionally this results in revealing key plot points of the movies they're discussing. You know how the children of the night, ah, I mean monster kids, can get sometimes. So consider yourself warned, and don't come begging to me to kill them for their transgressions afterward. I have more pressing issues to take care of, like that pesky Van Helsing. Lucha de Mayo continues here on Monster Kid Radio with a movie that I hadn't seen yet. This is a first time viewing for me, which is sometimes some of the most exciting podcasting for me to talk about a movie fresh, brand new. I actually just finished watching this this morning and it was recommended to me by this week's guest. First time on the show, now a new podcaster, Jonathan Inbody. Welcome to Monster Kid Radio. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that I could share this uh, wonderful, wonderful movie with you. Man, what what a <laughs> it's it's a tr- I, I loved it now, and I know a lot of times for most of the movies we've talked about so far this month, you're going to hear me kind of giggle and laugh a little bit as we talk about it. And sure. it's it's not any disrespect. It's just that these movies are just so fun. Oh, they're great. They're berserk. The energy behind them is is the best thing about them. <laughs> Berserk. That's a great way to put this movie uh, <laughs> or to describe this movie. Uh, the movie we're talking about this week, I haven't mentioned yet. Mm. So it's known uh, by Jonathan, and he he called it Santo versus the Blob. It doesn't look like it was ever released theatrically with that title. Yeah, I, I was having a hard time even figuring out, like, I couldn't find anything information-wise on this movie at all. And I realized after I suggested it that the only place I had ever even seen it is from that YouTube video. I think that's the only place to find it. Yeah, it's available on YouTube, which may or may not be questionable in terms of where it came from. It looks like it was recorded off of a, a Mexican TV channel. And there are some fan subtitles available for it, so you can watch it that way. I don't think it was ever officially released here in the States. Which, bless those guys for doing that, because, man, that's amazing. Yeah, so... Not that you really need the subtitles for a movie like this, but you know, <laughs> not really. <laughs> it adds the film, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it gives it a little bit more oomph, but I mean, come on, it's the international language of wrestling. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to try to pronounce the Spanish title, but if you do look up Santo versus the Blob, it does come up in a Google search. It does come up on the Internet Movie Database that way. Santo contra los asesinos de otros mundos. That's probably the most authentic Spanish we've heard here on the show. Oh, don't say that. (laughs) That makes me feel bad because I feel like anytime I try to say Spanish specifically with like the accent I think is right, I always feel like I'm mocking Spanish. Oh, no, no, man. Uh, It it sounded a heck of a lot better than I could have pulled off. I can't roll my R's. So I I don't even. That'll that'll get in the way. Yeah. Uh, It's from 1973 and it stars our man Santo, the man in the silver mask and. Wow, what a fun movie. But, you know, I, I we'll get to that. We'll get to that. There's some things that we have to do, some business we have to get to here. I mentioned at the top of this that uh, you're a relatively new podcaster. I want to make sure we talk about that quickly here, and then we'll mention it again at the end. You were telling me the name of your podcast before we started recording. Why don't you let our listeners know what it is? Yeah, so it's called X Meets Y, and um, basically each episode I and a guest – randomly select two movie titles and then we have half an hour to come up with a brand new mostly original movie idea that could be described as movie x meets movie y our last episode that released is men in black meets cujo and we've had a couple other ones that are really fun like um it's a wonderful life meets the punisher which was also a good time (laughs) 
I, I described it to you before we started recording as a podcast sprint. I, I want to keep the energy up with it and make them bite size and all that kind of stuff. As of this recording, there are six episodes. And how often do you release one? Uh, it's uh, every other Wednesday. Okay. okay. Which, so this but- is coming out, what, the 24th, is it? Uh, yes, that is correct. Okay, then we will have a new episode the day before this comes out, which I resisted telling you the title of before we started recording, but I will tell you now. Uh-oh. Okay, here we go. Is, <laughs> drum roll, please. No. Um, <laughs> it is Godzilla meets Old Yeller. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, it's a bummer. <laughs> so you guys, and, and you, you and a guest, and, and you guys know ahead of time what the title, what the movies are going to be that you're going to mix up? What I do is each time I have a new guest, I just have them send me a list of like five of their favorite movies or movies they're comfortable talking about. And then right before we start the recording, I have a randomizer app that I've loaded a bunch of movie titles into and we just randomize and find one that seems like a little bit of a good fit. And then we just go. Okay. All right. (laughs) I'm trying to harness that like raw creative energy. That's awesome. <laughs> it's so much great. fun. You are absolutely welcome to be a guest if you'd like to sometime because it would be a blast. Oh wow. Yeah, wow. Um <laughs> you were telling me before we started recording that you were feeling a little intimidated by the classic five that we're gonna do here in a second. That would be intimidating to get on your show because a half an hour to just go, huh? Oh That's, yeah, it's wow. I mean it's manic is the word I'll use. You gotta bring some energy to it, you know? <laughs> wow. Um I have not used my improv skills in a very, very long time, but that would be fun. Let's talk off mic about that later. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, no pressure. I'm just calling you out on your show. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can edit this out if no, I'm just. <laughs> oh, that's true. You could. Ah, tricky. <laughs> X meets Y. I'm looking at the Libsyn page right now. This is kind of a bare bones site, but you said there's a Facebook page? Yes, there is a Facebook page. It's linked to in the description of the latest episode. It'll be in pretty much all the descriptions of every episode released after um, just because it's a bunch of numbers and letters and stuff because Facebook's not great about that. Yep. And I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes, of course, as well. And because it's on Libsyn, it's probably available on iTunes and some of your more popular podcast catchers. So I'm sure it's there. Yeah, you can find it wherever. Now, like I said, a link in the show notes. That sounds like fun. I'm going to check that out later today. Awesome. Right on. Yeah, let me know what you think because I, I value your opinion. As a podcaster. It's a wonderful life meets the Punisher. <laughs> yeah, that one's a little, uh, that one gets dark. <laughs> wow. Well, uh, yeah, I bet. It starts out dark and it just gets darker. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun show. Some of the titles that you've got mixed up here, just I, I, Tombstone meets the mummy. You know, I've got a mummy thing. So, oh, and, yeah. and, uh, it is, it is, however, the Brendan Fraser mummy. I will warn you. Yeah, that's okay, man. That's that all right, you know, because I do love that movie. You know, the mummy and Tombstone. I mean, I love the, that's a great Western too. You know, oh, I, it's I, so good. I know I love my spaghetti Westerns, but you know, that's a really good, uh, I guess, I guess technically it's an older Western now too, but God, I saw oh. that theatrically. So yeah, it's a good one. Every Western is an older Western. Like two years after a Western comes out, people are like, is that the movie from like 30 years ago? Yeah, that's true. That's true. Make us feel old, man. Yeah, no, it's good stuff, man. I'll definitely check it out. And again, link in the show notes for sure. Mm -hmm. Thank you. All right. So I put you on the spot about your podcast. You want to go on the spot again with the classic five? Let's do it. I I will say to preface, I am not educated on hammer. I've watched some hammer Mostly just because I've been listening to 1951 Down Place. I haven't watched most of the like main system ones of like most of the Draculas, most of the um, the Mummy ones. I've watched the first Dracula, the first Mummy, the Quatermass movies, and then some of the other random ones like the Gorgon or um, the Reptile. 
there's another one that I'm forgetting, but I don't know. I haven't watched that many hammers, so you've seen some really good ones so far. It sounds like so. Oh yeah, fantastic. And, you know, adjust your expectations accordingly. <laughs> sure, it's all right, all right. I'll keep that in mind. Well, either way, I'm expecting to go a little bit deer in the headlights with it, just because you know, you know how it is. <laughs> All right, so for listeners who don't know, The Classic Five is a card game that we play here with guests on the show. There are a number of different questions on each one of these cards. Each one's a yes or no, this or that style question about classic monster movies. There are no wrong answers. This is simply a way for our listeners to learn a little bit more about our guests. Call it a game. Call it a conversation starter. Are you ready to play The Classic Five, Jonathan? I am ready. Spin that wheel. Here we go. Well, <laughs> <laughs> or flip those cards, whatever. Yeah, you know. yeah, right. I need to. I get just that wanted sound to effect. say spin that wheel. It just seems like it'd be fun to say. It that, was. That'll be the home game later on. You know, I'll just develop. It. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that'd be great. You had like a little practice set. There you go. There you go. All right. Nice. Here we go. Card number one. Who else could have or should have played Doctor Jekyll and Mister Hyde? Ooh, that's a tough one. Right off the bat, man. Um, hmm, did Klaus Kinski ever play them? Because I feel like that would be a good fit. Wow. He can do the crazy angry and he can do the like cold anger. He wouldn't need the makeup for Mr. Hyde. He'd need the oh, makeup for Jekyll. <laughs> yeah, he can just hunch over and he's scary. Wow. Oh, wow. No, I don't know if he ever did. Uh, somebody like Troy Howarth or somebody like that would know. because, But I, I don't know as much about Klaus Kinski. So, uh, you know, we're just going to say he hasn't done it yet and he should. I, I'm yeah. on board with it. <laughs> That's safe. I love it. I love it. I, yeah, I would absolutely love to see that. Card number two. What two 1950s monster movies would make a great double feature? Uh, mole people and alligator people. I, I love the two of them. I think it'd be a lot of fun because they're both like, it's, it's kind of hard to describe, but they have similar feeling monsters and like kind of similar tones. Okay. But they're just different enough that it would feel like they belonged together, but weren't remakes of each other or ripoffs of each other. Okay. Huh. But I mean, I, I love those. I love both those movies. So, well, yeah, I mean, John Agar and Lon Chaney, it's hard to, yeah. Alligator people, uh, doesn't get enough credit either. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a lot more going on than just having a cool monster look. So, oh, absolutely. Well, so <laughs> this is going to take a little bit of explaining. Okay. So I screenwrite some, I, I write scripts and, and I'm trying to break into screenwriting if at all it is possible. So I actually wrote a script for a remake of Alligator People that's kind of Cronenberg style. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's it gets intense and, and weird and body horror-esque. It was one of those things where I had watched Alligator People before, but I, I just watched it with a friend of mine year or two ago now. And as I was watching it, I was like, wow, there's a lot of like really good subtext in this. The character of Manon brings a lot to this. And Joyce, I think is the lead woman's name. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And even just the way that like Paul, the um, alligator man, like he has this like self-hating complex. that's really compelling. And I was like, Ooh, I can make this about the horror of war and the way that like the people after who came back from world war two felt like they were deformed and, you know, and there's so much subtext that I, that I just worked into it and, and used as like angst fuel for these characters. That sounds fascinating. I'm not normally a guy that goes for remakes, but it sounds like, well, that'd be fun just to kind of explore that. Yeah, I knew it was a little bit of heresy bringing it up because of the remake problem, the remake but... problem. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we all know it's a problem. We charitably just call them remakes, but they're mostly their problems. <laughs> See, that's a concept for a podcast right there. I love that. I like that. I like that. All right. No, I, I th that would be fun and, and could get kind of dark. Hmm. 
Oh, it's it's very. I can shoot you that script if you want it, because you know it's just sitting in my folder. But <laughs> wow, no, that sounds interesting. Yeah, that'd be a good read. Cool. All right, card number three. Dwight Fry as Fritz or Dwight Fry as Renfield? Ooh, that is a tough one. I got to say Renfield because I think the character of Renfield always brings out really great performances. I feel like Renfield is is a pretty universally bizarre character in a way that it highlights whoever's playing that role. Okay. So I think that that kind of overall elevates that one. He does have more of a complete arc. Yeah, that's that's one of the other things that that works with Renfield is is Renfield usually gets very fleshed out mm-hmm. in a way that is satisfying. I mean, I love Fritz too, but I mean, he was yeah, a, just not as developed. Yeah, well, and he's, he's an original creation for the films. He he didn't have the novel right, right. origin that. Okay, all right, cool. I can see that. That's going all right so far. Yeah, yeah, you're doing great so far. You haven't gotten anything wrong. Oh, wait a minute. There's nothing, no no wrong answers. No more answers. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> I knew this was too good to be true. Okay, card number four. <laughs> Okay, I, you know what? I'm actually going to use this for the last card. This, and, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, no, save it. Okay, favorite William Castle film. That's card number four. Mm, uh, let's see. Uh, see, this is a tough one, too. These are all tough ones mm-hmm. because you're asking me to, to, like, if I had children, you're basically being like, which do you like better? Because I love the gimmickry of, of uh, William Castle stuff. Yeah. But I probably got to go with The Tingler just because. Everything about it from start to finish is delightful. You know, like there's such a, a joy and an energy to it mm-hmm. that even though that that energy is in a lot of William Castle stuff, it, it really comes through in the performances. The idea of there being like little creepy creature that's that's wrapped around your spine, like everything about it is just so fun and charming. And I can't help myself but smile when I mention it. So I got to go with that one. <laughs> I'm William Castle. And I feel obligated to warn you about the next attraction you will see at this theater. The picture is The Tingler, which I directed. And for the first time in motion picture history, members of the audience, including you, will actually play a part in the picture. You will feel some of the physical reactions, the shocking sensations experienced by the actors on the screen. I guarantee that The Tingler has more shocks per minute than my last film, The House on Haunted Hill. But don't be alarmed. You can protect yourself. When you see the picture, you will be told and remember the instruction how you can guard yourself from attack by the Tingler. And now may I show you a few scenes from the Tingler? I know that when you think like classic monster movies for Vincent Price, a lot of people go to the Roger Corman pictures, and, and rightly so. But oh, I think great. Price and Castle really had some some gems as well, and that's one of them. The Tingler is just fantastic. Definitely. His performance in that, so oh, good. Oh, he's, he's off the wall in that. It's so good. All right. So this is the one I originally drew as card number four. I wanted to save it for card number five because it kind of sort of maybe has to do with the movie we're talking about this time around. Oh, boy. Uh, which movie do you prefer, The Blob or Kaltiki, The Immortal Monster? Oh, 
See, I thought the other ones were hard, but now this one is, this is, you just stabbed me in the chest with this one. <laughs> I gotta say the blob, if only because of its like classic status. And that's not to be mean to Keltiki, because Keltiki is a classic in its own right. But the blob just has, has been such an influence on so many things. And it's just so like totemic almost. It's emblematic of that kind of like drive-in monster movie from the time. So I can't, I can't not choose it. Okay. If you follow my reasoning, I you know. I totally understand. Totally understand. Dave, Doc Hallen's been killed. Doc Hallen? What happened? It's over at his place. you got to come now. Oh, wait a minute, Steve. Tell us what happened. Well, I'm trying to tell you. Now, this thing had killed the Doc. Well, what was it? Stop with it, kid. But it's kind of like a... It's kind of like a mass that keeps getting bigger and bigger. It... <laughs> Every one of you watching this screen, look out. Because soon, very soon, the most horrifying monster menace ever conceived will be oozing into this theater. Teenagers see it first, like a falling star from outer space. Boy, that was close. Hey, come on, I want to see if I can find it. An old man finds it, touches it, and this is the shocking result. From then on, there's no stopping the blob as it spreads from town to town. It's indestructible. It's indescribable. Nothing can stop it. This town is in danger. How can it be stopped? Mob hysteria sweeps one city. Before long, the nation and then the world could fall before the blood-curdling threat of the Bob. Starring Steve McQueen and a cast of exciting young people. But I, I love Keltiki as Keltiki's well. great. And that recent Blu-ray that came out? Oh, so good. I haven't seen it. I've I've only seen the print that they have on uh, Amazon Prime, which is fine, but it's also the subtitled version rather than any kind of dubbed mm-hmm. or anything like that. So No, the, the new Blu-ray, the new transfer was just phenomenal. So good. Well, that was the Classic Five. How do you feel, man? Ooh, a lot better now because, oh, man, that was – I was very tense. <laughs> <laughs> you survived. You survived. I did yeah, it. No, no wrong answers. No wrong answers. And literally, no wrong answers. I mean, you did a great – so many great movies and such to talk about. I mean, we can we could probably just do an episode devoted to the Classic Five down the line. If, if we ever run out of movies to talk about, we'll just play the Classic Five. Not, not that we ever will. But. Well, and you can, you can double back on movies you covered before. Like, I could talk about Alligator People for days. That's, that's, like, that's a really <laughs> good film. Man, it's been forever. Oh, it's so good. And Manon, like, pulls the whole thing together in such a satisfying mm-hmm. way. He's so mm-hmm. good. So welcome to the Alligator People podcast. And uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now we have a, a luchador monster movie to talk about, a movie with El Santo, the man in the silver mask, like I said earlier. He is, you know, the iconic uh, when you think luchador monster movies, if you don't think of Santo, if you, if you think luchador movies, period, if you don't think of El Santo, something's wrong. You've not seen enough movies because this man did so many films. Mm-hmm. I've said in the past that, I tend to lean more toward Blue Demon or Milmascaris, but you cannot deny the charisma and the action and the enjoyability of these Santo films. Santo is just, Santo is like Superman, where a lot of Mm -hmm. people have like a problem with Superman, but 
I feel the same way about Santo as I do about Superman, where what makes them interesting is the fact that they are like the paragon mm-hmm. of of their world. You know, like Santo, everybody calls Santo for help all the time. Like he just shows up at the end of some of other people's movies to be like, listen, I got this handled. Don't worry. Don't even worry about it. I'm here. It's me. I know you've been working hard for the first 80 minutes of this movie, but uh, yeah, here, I've, I've got my little flamethrowing gun. <laughs> What's and the deal? I'm gonna... Mummies, I'll take care of it. <laughs> I got your mummies right here. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that's the thing. You know, a lot of people say Superman is boring too because he's a paragon and, sure, and he's sure. like, he's Superman. But <laughs> to me, that just means it's more of a challenge as a writer and a storyteller. Certainly. And, and I feel like you can get some really interesting stories out of that. And I feel like with Santo, you do come across that. I don't know if this is one that's super deep, but it does have all the earmarks and all the traits that you get with, with the traditional Santo films. Yeah, everybody calls Santo. Uh, some scientists got killed. There's some corpses here and all just bones left <laughs> some behind. Some homicide detective is like, hey, we should get a luchador for this. <laughs> right. And it's that world that I love so much about it's these so movies. Good. It's so bizarre. It's yeah, in this movie, even we practically have the bat phone set up where they turn. Oh, yeah, <laughs> what? <laughs> like they've got a button for Santo. They've got a button. They turn. They open this little cabinet thing. There's like a bust of his head. <laughs> <laughs> Slides down the bat pole into the scene. Yeah, <laughs> it's wonderful. It's such an odd world, but I love it, and I love there are so many movies that we get to live vicariously through to, to be in that world. And, and oh, yes. it's, it's no big deal. And Santo can do everything. I mean, he, he can solve crimes. He fights crimes. He's a wrestler. He can fly planes. He can, <laughs> <laughs> he is a Renaissance man. <laughs> it's great. I suggested this one because the cheaper ones I find have slightly more creativity at certain points where like, some of the things that I love about these movies are like the obvious seams of like where you're like, wait, that plot point doesn't make any sense, does it? And then you go back and watch it again and you're like, no, it doesn't make any sense. And I feel like the cheap ones have a lot of those moments in a way that makes it really fun and energetic to watch, especially any of these ones where Santo is like working for Interpol or is just getting called <laughs> in by the cops. They have this feeling of like Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. comics. Where it's just random stuff being thrown at the main character who's a pretty serious, normal guy. Yeah. Even though they're exceptional, it makes everything funny to see Santo take it on. You know, you mentioned Nick Fury, and uh, I don't know if I'm ever going to get around to doing this. So I'm just going to go ahead and say it here on the show. I, I have this thought that if I had the time, I would take the audio from the Avengers Infinity War trailer. <laughs> to put together a group of people with extraordinary, you know, that whole thing. But <laughs> to do ins- the things we never could. <laughs> yeah, but instead of the Avengers and all that you see on screen, you see the Luchadors. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. You know, clips from Champions of Justice, clips from this, clips from, uh, you know, the Mummies of Guanajuato. Just <laughs> oh, that'd be so satisfying. Oh, that'd be the best. And then find some, you know, one of the, the scientist buddies of one of them to be the the one doing the Nick Fury voice and everything. Just that's <laughs> that would be fun to do. I don't know if I have the time to do it because it would involve a lot of editing. But someone needs to do it. Somebody's... Is the important thing. Someone listening to this right now needs to do. It. Somebody out there, and I don't think he was a listener of the show, but somebody online did that with the Toy Story films, and I thought that was hilarious. Scott that's Morris, right. you know, posted that. Oh, I but... gotta look that up. That's funny. But yeah, I want to see it with the luchadors now. <laughs> oh, that'd be so good. <laughs> it's such a crazy mix of things and, and nothing faces the luchadors. Nothing. Oh, yeah. Nothing. They always just, they're always just like, oh yeah, that makes sense. It's Dracula. I'll go take care of it. Mm-hmm. 
there's such a casualness to every interaction that somebody has with masked wrestlers. Right. And and I don't know if part of it is because they are masks, so we don't see all the facial expressions, but just their body language and they're like, oh, okay, this is happening now. I'm going to take care of it. There's a monster from <laughs> the moon and we have to call in the Air Force. Okay, cool. <laughs> Uh, that's like I love Santo in this movie just comes in and is like, uh, yeah, this is my investigation now. I'll tell you guys what to do. And not in a mean way. They're all just like, no, please tell us what to do. Like, you know, Santo. Yeah, it's OK. Yeah, no that's worries. Fine. The chief <laughs> called him in. <laughs> There's that cliche with like the, the cop TV shows when the FBI gets called. There's the, the FBI versus the local cops and nothing like that here at all. Nothing. Yeah, no it's jurisdiction like friction none. whatsoever. Everybody knows it's Santo's deal. Yeah. 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 Why not? We'll call on Santo. No, no problem. Ugh. So you called it Santo versus the blob. That's how a lot of people refer to this movie. <laughs> There's a blob. Oh, yes. Um, there, well, several. And then they become one big one. <laughs> it's. You said something <laughs> yeah. about seeing the seams in. And I think literally you the, we see the seams for that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I kept. Oof. <laughs> this was a first time watch for me. And, mm-hmm. and a lot of times those are the best movies to talk about here on the podcast for me anyway because i get sure. I get it fresh every time the blob is in a scene <laughs> especially when it's coming through a doorway <laughs> i was terrified the entire time that it was going to get caught on like a doorknob it, there's such tension every time it moves and, and not because it's scary i mean yeah okay it's a monster moving around but i was just terrified something was going to get caught and the, the, the people underneath the tarp were going to be seen, you know, kind of crawling around <laughs> on their hands and legs as the tarp gets stuck on a wall somewhere. My favorite you is know. when it's in the grass field towards the end <laughs> where it's just so clearly like a bunch of dudes trying not to trip over each other. Right. It's so good. It's, it's literally like three or four guys underneath a tarp that's maybe painted with some latex. It's really what it, it, it looks kind of fleshy maybe that texture is unsettling and i wish that they had had like a different way to to kind of make it move so it wasn't just making me constantly think like oh there's a hand oh there's some guy's head (laughs) you know because i love that texture and i think it would be great for a blob type monster (laughs) when it gets somebody Oh boy. Um, when it gets somebody, it's not as bad as say like somebody throwing themselves underneath or, or, or into the opening of the monster like you see in the, um, ah, the, the really low budget monster movie that I'm blanking on right now. It's early. I've only had like one cup of coffee. Um, Are you thinking of the seventies? Beware the blob. Cause that one has a little bit. Oh, of it does have a little bit about that. Uh, like that. I'm um, so sorry for bringing up that movie. Nah, nah, it just gives me an excuse to play the trailer. Um, let's see. <laughs> oh, good. <laughs> but it, it's widely considered one of the worst mon- the creeping terror. That's it. Oh yes, yeah. Right. Yeah. Which yeah. I actually think has some interesting things to, to kind of enjoy about, but it's got mm. this monster design that sure. people just kind of roll around and let, fall on top of it <laughs> or, or they literally crawl into it as it's as it's eating somebody and that's almost sure. what happens in this movie as well that yeah oh yes there's a lot of sitting still and waiting for it to roll over them right towards the end the one goon the one the <laughs> cannon fodder when he turns to run and gets caught in the tree oh it's so good <laughs> i mean it's wonderful but dude it's just, it's just like two trees you could have just taken one step to the left <laughs> I really like the one guy who's standing, shooting his gun, or just standing there, like, menacingly with the gun, and it just drops from behind him and just whacks him in the back of the head. I love it. I love it. So great. Uh, Speaking of guns. (laughs) Santo. 
point, goes on a rampage. You don't normally see this. In the Luchador movies, they're very, I mean, they don't have the gadgets all the time. Mm Mm-hmm. But they're very Batman-like. You know, they yeah. don't use guns, that sort of thing. You might see Santo trying to put a flamethrowing pistol, but, you know, you don't see a lot of that. Yeah, there's a lot of, like, people punching each other and throwing each other on top of things, and not so much just shooting each other. But at one point, Santo's like, I'm done with this, and he grabs a machine gun <laughs> and and then goes to town. And it's, I mean, granted, they've been chasing him around this kind of sort of arena with a flamethrower so i understand we have to take this whole sequence either either now or a little bit later but we have to just examine that whole sequence because i have so many things to say about it i took more notes on that sequence than any other scene in the whole movie so to get up to this point in the film we've seen the monster we've seen the blob it's killed some random people yeah it starts with a montage of the blob just rolling over people so the movie doesn't make you wait for the monster. No, not at all. It's very satisfying. It's instant. You get them or before you get the wrestlers. Uh, this movie does not start with a wrestling match, which mm-hmm. a lot of them do. You know, they'll start just to kind of establish or use some footage to kind of fill it out. And this one doesn't even have a wrestling match. It kind of yeah. does, but it's it's more of a gladiator arena battle. Yeah, it's something totally staged for the film. Mm-hmm. It's not something that could have been stock footage from a previously televised match somewhere. Yeah. The movie starts with the blob taking some people out and then the police don't know what's going on. And then they call on Santo, who's like, yeah, cool. I got this. <laughs> Again, my, my mind always goes to the image of some homicide detective looking at the decaying corpse and being like, a luchador can solve this problem. Because <laughs> those, those are the best ones to me of the luchador movies is ones where when I see the title or like start to watch it, I'm like, how would a luchador help this situation? Those ones are always so much fun. Like, how does Santo wrestle a blob? Well, the answer is he mostly doesn't. He just kind of knows what's going on and avoids it. It's not moving very fast. It's, that's the thing. <laughs> you can probably outrun it unless you get stuck between the two trees yeah. that happen to be in your way. Um, <laughs> it is effectively a yeast that you can outrun. Basically. Not terribly threatening. <laughs> this movie's so bizarre. While Santo is learning about the case and learning about what's going on, they do get a message from some evil madman who... I can't tell if he – see, he's set up as like the main villain. <laughs> yeah. That's Malkosh is what they call him, which is a crazy name to expect people speaking Spanish to say, but they do a really good job of it. Right. And, and he's played by Carlos uh, Agosti. Agosti, again, I don't speak Spanish, but mm. he, he seems to be set up as the main villain and, he, and he's threatening the world, you know, pay me this or whatever. I'm going to unleash the blob. <laughs> and he seems to have expected Santo – to be the guy who got the call because he addresses Santo and the chief. Like he just knew Santo was going to, he's like, well, listen, I got blobs killing people. Somebody's going to call Santo. This is his bag. Like this is his thing. The police can't handle it. They know it. I know (laughs) it. You know, they're going to call Santo. Yeah, yeah, of course they are. His plan is in 24 hours. If he doesn't have $10 million in gold, is it? I think so. Yeah. He's going to have more people killed in the mysterious way that people's bodies have been turning up because they don't know that it's blobs. We as the audience know because they show us in like half a minute, but the characters don't know for a little bit longer. (laughs) Okay. I want to. There's so much. (laughs) Like I can't even. There's so much. There. Okay. There's some stuff that happens. I mean, between this and the gladiator scene, but I. (laughs) We can sum it up. It's all kind of filler. We can sum it up quick. Yeah. Okay. I'll just, we'll start from the beginning. We'll go one sentence per scene. Bunch of people die. (laughs) Santo is called by cops. 
bad guy, <laughs> bad guy Skypes in to the t- television and s- makes a threat and says that they need to give him $10 million or he's going to keep killing people that way. The chief is like, ah, we're not going to do that. And Santo's like, well, it buys us 24 hours anyway. And then a body, another body shows up. So they go, okay, all right, we're going to have to do something. And Santo says, oh, well, I got a plan. And his plan simply seems to be, he's going to fly the plane with the ransom money and then hide on the plane and beat up everybody who comes to get it. <laughs> he, he beats up like 30 guys in that scene. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's amazing. Of course he does. Oh, it's so good. And I've, I've mentioned this in a previous episode. I don't, it is actually not at the feed as of this recording. It'll be going out right before this episode. Mm-hmm. There is something about the color luchador movies that is just so absurdly yet delightfully over the top. Oh, and of yeah. course he beats up 30 guys. That's the plan. You, you get some of the black and white movies. They're a little bit more serious sometimes. Yeah. You, you get a little more, um, I don't want to say subtle. Sometimes they're just straight ripoffs of other movies like Santo in the wax museum. Right. Or they're not even Sometimes monster movies. Just other movies where Santo is the main character. Yeah. Now, and that's just something you're going to have to deal with. Yeah. You know, that it's, it's a regular spy thriller until a luchador shows up and then it's still just a spy yeah. thriller. Just one of them has to be wearing a luchador mask. Once in color, it makes every time Santo enters a room, really funny in such a like bizarre way because it's so surreal like in a lot of these santo gets to be in like a turtleneck or a three-piece suit but in this one the only wardrobe he has is his wrestling outfit so when the cops call him and he shows up he just walks into the scene in his wrestling outfit and everyone's like oh santo thank goodness you're here like no one reacts at all to silver it. tights this glorious oh, red so cape good. and the silver mask that's it and that cape all over the place in every fight scene. I love the cape. I love the cape so much. I'm not a guy who wears capes, but I'd wear this. Oh, I would wear this cape in a minute going out. This is amazing. <laughs> this is amazing. <laughs> so the plan is, you're right, let's fly it in uh, with the ransom money, and I'm just going to beat everybody up and figure out what's going on. Uh, and, and somehow we end up in this weird... I couldn't tell because at this point we know the movie's kind of low budget. We know the movie's kind of cheap. Yeah. This one is clearly not one of the ones that they're devoting a lot of their resources or energy to. Like even the stuntmen move a little bit slower in this one than they do in a lot of them. Because of that, when we have the fight, when who we think is the big bad confronts Santo, I couldn't tell if the background that we're seeing behind them, which is clearly because of the way they lit it, just a a tarp or something. It's a studio with stars painted on the wall. Are we supposed to believe that they're actually outside? They're actually somewhere? They can't expect us. That was my question, too. I, I was like, am I meant to believe this is space? Yeah, there are some shots that, okay, I could buy that. But there are other shots because, let's face it, there's not a lot of subtlety with the cinematography here. Everything is just lit so plainly that you can tell oh hey this is where they painted a background on them you know (laughs) there's so much confusion already because it just hard cuts from like the end of the scene where santo is beating up everybody is the bad guy gets in a car and drives towards him and santo runs in the way of the car and gets hit and gets knocked out and then it's just a hard cut to maybe space maybe a studio right so it's so disorienting already because when you look at the the background you're like is this, where are we? What's happening? What, like what's in the world of the film? Where are they? And it just gets added so much more to by 
it being led into by Santo being like, yeah, I can take this car and just getting hit. So I've got the movie playing on my Kindle here as we're talking. Mm-hmm. And uh, this gladiator scene I am obsessed with. Oh, it's so long and so fascinating. Everything about it. I could just watch it over and over and over. And you wouldn't be able to tell that it's from a movie about a giant blob killing people because it has nothing to do with that. <laughs> At all. I watched this twice in preparation for this. And before that, I had seen it like three or four years ago. So in watching it and preparing for this podcast, it really jumped out to me how much that scene barely feels like it's even happening in the same movie as the rest of it. Up until they get back into the guy's lab, it feels like a totally different Santo It, it does feel like the... I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if it was designed for a different film or was intended for a different movie. I, I think what it must have been, because there's, I noticed that the throne prop is a prop that is used in um, Santo versus the Blue Demon in Atlantis. Okay. Because I just watched that one a couple nights ago, too, because watching this one again put me on a Santo kick. But so I feel like it must have been that they wanted to put in a fight scene, like like the, the ring fights in a lot of these movies. Mm-hmm. And they just went into the studio. They did as little work as possible to design the set, put the props in, and they just had a couple of guys, gave them weapons, so it was kind of an interesting fight, and just said, let's see how much time this can eat up. Let's see how much of the movie we can film right now. <laughs> because it it feels so much like that. We have a Thursday night. We've got the keys to the studio. <laughs> we got six or seven guys and some gladiator outfits. Let's do it. We've got one guy who's dressed like Wonder Woman. <laughs> Literally. The first guy looks just like Wonder Woman. Uh, it's... <sighs> Complete with I, I, You know, I'm watching this and... <laughs> <laughs> like I don't understand. It's like the gladiator fight in Spartacus. Just, just random. You know, and I, I don't know, man. And it goes on so long. Like it's, it's like ten minutes of him just. He fights the guy who looks like Wonder Woman. He beats that guy, and then that guy disappears. And then the next guy comes out with a like a trident, like an Aquaman style trident. Right, and, and doesn't he have a net? He's whipping around at the very beginning of it as well. And it's just yeah. And and that goes on for a long time, too. And then finally, Santo grabs the trident from him, bonks him over the head with it, and then just throws the trident away. Right. Well, he had to throw it away because he needs it later for when the third guy with the flamethrower shows up. I love, I love too, that the guy with the flamethrower is just a dude in a, f- like, flameproof suit. I have to imagine right before they filmed that, they were like, and then you'll come out with the flamethrower. And he was like, what? I mean, is there, like... Will I be okay? Am I going to die? Because <laughs> he looks so different than the other two guys. Yeah, he doesn't fit. That's the other thing. Is that the first two guys at least have the red and blue kind of sort of matching. Yeah. But the third guy's just in a flamethrower. You know, it's like the villains from the crazies. It's just like this guy in a suit. <laughs> it really is like the crazies. Yeah, it's just a guy in a suit and that's it. There's nothing yeah. to – you know, and, and one thing that I want to <laughs> kind of gloss over this. When Santo mm-hmm. beats the guy – the, the the villain, the madman in the throne, he's got his machine gun wielding cronies all around this this studio set. Around space or a studio. When Santo beats them, he just kind of gives them the little thumbs down and they shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. The first before guy. Before he then disappears. Yeah. The first guy just, I think, just disappears or maybe they shoot him and then he disappears. But then the second guy gets shot a bunch and stays there for a while and he doesn't disappear until they cut to a wide shot. Right. So it's it's one of those things where I'm like, how much did you guys plan filming the sequence? Because it feels like every shot feels like you don't know if you're going to use it or not. 
<laughs> like there's a really confused consistency to that whole sequence, whereas the rest of it feels more planned out, even if it's ludicrous. Right. There's a lot of, I feel like, direction given to the guy in the throne. Every time we cut to a yes. close shot of him, he, he looks so concerned. Like, oh, <laughs> oh, no. What's it? You know, but when we get to the wide shots, when we get to the wrestling and I've talked about this here on the show before. Yeah, I'm a fan of professional wrestling, and, and I know it's all choreographed and staged and planned out. But a lot of times, you know, the wrestlers will call the match in the ring. They'll just kind of improvise. And this sure. movie, this sequence feels very improvised when it comes to the wrestling, except Santos, the only one who's really improvising. Everybody else doesn't really yeah. seem to know what to do. I, I don't know. I, what The direction must have been that the director took the two guys aside and said, okay, you got to fight, but don't make Santo look bad. Right. That's pretty much it. Because Santo is, is just chumping on them the whole fight. Even when they get a slight upper hand, Santo immediately turns it around and humiliates them. Like he just grabs the trident out of the guy's hand and hits him in the back of the head with it. Right. Yeah. Santo no sells a lot of this. <laughs> yeah. He's just not into it. No. And which is, you know, it's, it's Santo. He's our hero. Sure. Why not? Oh Yeah. That's not bad. Like, no. again, just because we're nitpicking, especially this scene to death, does not mean it is not absolutely delightful. It's one of the most fun scenes in this whole movie. It's, it's, I'd say, one of the most fun Santo non-wrestling matches I've seen. Oh, it's great. You know, it's, and, and I'm sure the people that he's wrestling with, I mean, they're, they're big barrel-chested guys. I'm sure they're probably from in the industry as well, but it's Santo. I mean, come on. I would assume they're stuntmen who are also later in the movie as goons who get taken out by the blobs. Yeah. Or by Santo. Cause Santo does go on another like karate chopping wrestling rampage at one point. <laughs> the guy with the flamethrower shows up. He's not dressed in the same outfit. He doesn't have the blue and red. He's just a guy in a silver flamethrower suit. I guess he would call. I don't know. Yeah. I don't even know. I guess flameproof suit is probably I don't know. Yeah, I, a Nomex suit, maybe? Is that what they're called? Or is Nomex something else? I, I have no idea. But That's probably something else. <laughs> this seems to be the most dangerous sequence in the entire movie because yes, I can't imagine they really took a lot of caution to make sure Santo wasn't too close to the fire just because it's a low-budget movie. Obviously, Santo doesn't get burned and you know he doesn't wear a shirt. So, I mean, he's, he's exposed and he's got that big flowing cape that I'm sure could catch fire. And they, they do a lot of over-the-shoulder shots of the guy shooting the flamethrower and Santo moving where it's clear that there's a, a bigger distance between Santo and the flames than they want us to believe there is. Yeah. But any of the wider shots... It's just a guy shooting a flamethrower at a wrestler who is doing a really good job of dodging, but I cannot imagine he was very comfortable with it, and yet he just did it because he's a professional. Right. I just... Okay. I cannot imagine being there on set and watching Santo just dodge flamethrowers. <laughs> like I said, I've got it playing in the background here, and the flamethrower just showed up. And Oh, it's so good. I, I just... I don't... <laughs> What? <laughs> I don't understand. And, and Santo's body language, everything just changes. He's like, oh. Um, yeah. It definitely is like he's like, oh, this is the headlining match. Yeah, huh? this this is. Like, this is the guy I actually got to beat. The way he's jumping around. <laughs> <laughs> and then I love, at the end of the fight, Santo, at one point, just, he essentially, like, if he had shrugged at the camera, it would have made sense because he just it's like he just remembered that a guy with a trident was fighting him a minute ago because he just grabs the trident and throws it at the dude with the flamethrower. Yeah. And that's it. 
That's, and that's, he's done. What are you going to do? It's a trident. And, and then he grabs the machine gun and starts taking everybody else out because he's, he's, he's had it. And yeah, Santo <laughs> kills the whole room full of guys, <laughs> including the main villain of the film. Yeah, kind of. I don't, I don't, I just, <laughs> there's, there's something really surreal about Santo with a machine gun already. But then one of the things that I love about a lot of these luchador movies is they have this energy and this like, desire to just go crazy where you're constantly surprised by what's happening in them. And when he shot the guy on the throne, I was like, Oh, Whoa. And even though I've seen like the second time I watched this in preparation for this, the third time I've watched the movie overall, I still went, Oh, when that guy got shot, because every time I still expect him to not get shot. Cause he's the main villain. Right. And these movies are relatively bloodless. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes you might see, especially in a monster one, you'll see like the blood spurt when they put a stake in a vampire's chest or something. Sure. This sure. guy acts like he's been shot up pretty badly. He appears to have been shot in the head and then he does a whole scene of exposition after. Yeah, that's the thing. There, there's no wounds on his body at all. They didn't even darken it and put, it, put a splotch on his suit. But he's got this streak of blood across the side of his head and it, it's amazingly consistent from shot to shot, especially when they move from yes. this kind of sort of, are we on a planet or on a moon somewhere scene to his lab, which is, I guess, just downstairs. Um, that's that's the other thing that, that made me wonder where this is taking place is the fact that they just step out of frame and step into frame back on an actual like set. Right. In some lab somewhere. And like, in is this the basement? Like what's, what is any of this? And this guy is selling his supposed gunshot wounds again. Like I said, he, oh, yeah. he didn't even unbutton button his jacket. I mean, he just—he's just—he's fantastic. If not for the streak of blood across his head, I, I would just think that he's—he's he's drunk or something. Just the way he's walking yeah. and the way he's, he's trying, just being dramatic. He's super, <laughs> super dramatic. So over the top. And for some reason or other, now he's telling Santo everything. And Santo just puts a bandaid on what is apparently a bullet wound on the guy's head. And that just seems to have dealt with the problem for now. Like this guy can just talk and finish what he was doing. I don't, I don't, what? I don't understand. <laughs> and, and, I, and I don't understand the change of heart here to suddenly just tell him everything, everything. There's this, this organism from the moon. I don't understand. In this big fight scene at one point, the guy's like, Hey man, I had to see what the, the Santo could do. So I think it's just that the guy is a fan <laughs> and he's just a very fair villain. So when he gets beaten, he's like, you got me. I'll show you my whole thing. That's that's fine. We're good. You know, there's a lot of honor when it comes to uh, the the luchadors and and the heroes, Um, Mm -hmm. but not so much with the Rudos, the villains of these things. And and suddenly this guy forgets that he's a Rudo. He's like, okay, I'm going to treat you honorably. You beat my guys. You beat me. You shot me in the head. I guess you deserved my respect. If it is possible for a bad guy to be a Technico, he is it. Yeah, pretty much. He's so good. He's just such a like casual guy. Casual guys like like he gets shot and he's like, mm, this is fine. Yeah, um, go get my tweezers. I'm gonna show you something in my microscope that we never get to see. And Santo just implicitly trusts this guy because Santo keeps turning his back. And again, every time I watch this, I keep expecting because I'm used to like the usual villain tropes. I keep expecting the villain to then like stab him in the back or something. And the guy's just waiting for him politely. There's one or two shots where he does kind of cast him some side eyes. You know, like when he's mm. taking the tweezer to this this rock or whatever from the moon. There, there is, Yeah, they don't look like friends. No, they don't look like friends. But there's one moment where he kind of, like, he's looking over his shoulder. Is he going to do something terrible with that tweezer? Nope. Yeah, here you go. Why don't you look at this, Santo? <laughs> ah, it's all good. <laughs> it's, it's all good. We're pals It's now. a microorganism from 
the moon and yes it is it is it, a microorganism on space rocks <laughs> which i think is a great way to have a blob monster i i really like that element a lot and that's one of the things that that stood out to me the first time i watched this i was like wow that's really cool i want that to be in a couple different movies <laughs> it's just so oh man what, the and, whole explanation is is the best kind of ludicrous, the most satisfying kind of ludicrous. And as they leave the scene, the, this the space rock, the, the microorganism has now been exposed to the air or whatever, and it suddenly turns into this like shaving cream fountain. <laughs> <laughs> that is the perfect description of it. <laughs> and and at one point, Santo goes back into that room to get something, and then walks back out of the room and doesn't even stop to glance at it. Like, it doesn't catch his attention that, oh, wait, this thing is kind of growing now and going to be a problem. No, doesn't even think about it. And I don't know if his peripheral vision is down because of the mask. He's so unconcerned with just the fact that a guy, like a supervillain, took him in and was like, yeah, I have this crazy lunar organism. If it gets out, it's going to destroy everything. And Santo then just proceeds to ignore it. Like, he doesn't ask, like, how do I contain it? Like, he doesn't ask any question that would help him deal with this imminent planet level threat but i will get a band-aid for that bullet wound in your head hold on a second oh sure hold on i gotta yeah get this. we can't just let you die which well i mean that's a very that's traditionally you know that's very superman yes very very superman this is not the main villain and i was really surprised because he's set up as the big bad i i love the fact that like as he's explaining he's also just like oh and i have this other henchman uh liqueur who also wants to rule the world like, it's such a weird introduction for a villain for the second half. I, I can't help but wonder if this movie started as something else or, you know, they had Santo, but they didn't have the script yet. So let's just do this scene on the moon and uh, we'll make something out of it. I have so many questions about the way that this movie was written because it feels and and not even really in a bad way, in a really fun way. It feels like it was written from scene to scene. Yeah. Where they would finish and then the next day they would be like, well, how's he going to get out of this one? No idea. I mean, it was, it I, was written. I don't understand. It was written by the director and the director's name, Ramon, uh, a bone, uh, Galen. Uh, Ru- yeah. Ruben Galindo. Yeah. Okay. So he's the writer. He's the director. At least he's the one who's credited as adapting the story, which is by Ramon, uh, a bone, perhaps a bone, which I can only imagine that must've been like a feverish pitch. It was either that the guy Ramon was like, uh, yeah, I had an idea about a, like a microorganism that uh, from moon rocks that makes blobs or the guy described everything that happens in this movie in just one long stream of consciousness thing. And Ruben Galindo was like, yeah, this works. We'll just put this down. This is the movie we're making. And Ramon's uh, we're calling him Ramon. Cause I'm hesitant to try to pronounce the last name. Cause I'm sure I'll get it wrong again, but he's got one heck of a career. I mean, he was writing up until uh, the early two thousands. So, I mean, he's still, he was still active in the industry and some of them were, were genre films. Some of them were luchador movies like the champions five Superman or the previously discussed the champions of justice. He was involved in that in some ways, uh, which is phenomenal. Uh, I, I have not watched a subtitled version of that and I need to get one. I've, I've only watched it just in Spanish. <laughs> <laughs> he was also involved in Santo versus Las Lobos, which is a great, I mean, if you've ever wondered about why somebody in a silver mask hasn't fought a werewolf yet. Well, <laughs> there you go. Santo, silver mask, werewolf. Perfect. Is that one of the ones? Cause I know, um, Ruben Galindo, uh, directed another Santo movie. And I think he directed 
maybe he directed Las Lobas, the one with the two lady werewolves. Because I've watched that one only in Spanish, too. So Yeah, he's credited with that one, I believe. Yeah. Yeah, I, I really like the the kind of, well, like, I, like I've said a couple times, the energy that, that gets brought to this one specifically. Because I, I love the, like, Santo and the Blue Demon versus the Monsters or some of the other classic ones. But this one has such a an unexpected turn to it every like 10 minutes, every 10 minutes. It's a new different movie. You know, you've used that word quite a bit, the energy, and there is a definite vibe to this. I mean, I feel like we, we talk about classic monster movies and these monster kid films, mm-hmm. the, the classic universal movies, they have a distinct flavor. The kaiju movies, they have a distinct flavor or, or, or vibe. You know, the, the Hammer films, they have a distinct flavor or vibe. These luchador movies also have their own sense of, of reality, this vibe, this flavor, this energy. And it's something that you don't find in the other movies. And, and I don't know if it's a cultural thing. I don't know if it's because of the luchadors or what, but whatever it mm-hmm. is, when it's on, man, it is on. There is no oh, great. staying in first gear here. We, <laughs> goes straight to fourth uh, and the movie's just hitting that level the entire time. We're redlining the entire way through. Well, and, and, and this movie, especially it. it has so much filler, but at the same time it moves so fast. I don't understand. And, and like I was saying about the energy, like uh, Santo and the stuntmen all move a little bit slower than they do in some of the other ones, but the energy is still there. Like, I don't understand. It must be the director who pulls it all together and makes it so much fun because there's so many individual moments that I'm baffled by or or that I am like, OK, I'll watch this on two times speed until they're done walking around in a circle here. They spend a good minute and a half, two minutes of Santo just running away from the lab that's now being taken over <laughs> by the blob on, on the roof of a, a bunch of buildings. And oh, that seems great. It's great. I mean, in any other world, in any other movie we don't need to see two minutes of a guy running from nothing, basically. So we yeah, never see traditionally the traditionally, you don't need that scene. You would you would cut that scene. <laughs> but in this movie, it's so good because it's oh. just him running. He's got that cape flowing behind him. It's wonderful. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he gets back to the plane and th- there's a couple of people tied up. Um, the, the people that he came in with, I guess. Uh, mm-hmm. He unties them and he, he calls and says, hey, headquarters is Santo. Uh Got the gold and uh, call the Air in. Force. <laughs> <laughs> I I love just the fact that Santo can fly the plane is another one of those things where I was like, oh, OK, I guess it's going to be a different movie than I thought it was going to be because I still feel like every time he should be stuck on the island and that should be like where the rest of the thing takes place. But it doesn't. It, it still moves everywhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. The movie certainly moves faster than the blob itself. Um. Yes. <laughs> Like I said before, the the blob is at best animated yeast. Yeah, it, it we we do get to see it. There's a couple of if the blob was moving faster, this sequence would be a lot more suspenseful. Yeah, Santos starting the plane. We cut out to the runway and we see the blob moving back to the plane. Propellers starting to slowly pick up. Blob back on the air. <laughs> it's just back and forth, back and forth. It needs to move the way that the '80s uh, remake of the Blob Blob moved, where it can like kind of dart at you, <laughs> but they don't. Clearly, because it's a bunch of stuntmen or just random crew people under like a weird leather blanket, like they just can't do that. (laughs) So they just kind of amble (laughs) like amble is the that's the best word. I don't even know. Like the blobs don't ever seem like they're in a hurry, even when they're eating people. (laughs) 
It's just so. It is an absolute delight. <laughs> oh man, I I love this movie. I I really. Oh, it's. Oh. I'm so glad that you like it because I was afraid. I was afraid having it follow a bunch of the like higher budget, more of the popular Santa ones. I was afraid you were going to be like, oh, this one's kind of cheap. You know, they're kind of. It's a little bit throwaway, but I absolutely adore this one i i love this movie i, I love the absurdity the the whiplash you get from your go from scene to scene to scene oh, I, I love again living in a world in which wrestling school isn't just about taking bumps and doing a few moves wrestling school also teaches you how to use a machine gun fly <laughs> a plane uh, you know work with the police you can do <laughs> anything if you're a wrestler that, that's the thing that's the equivalent of going i guess to harvard or yale i mean you get everything you know <laughs> it's, it's like the advanced <laughs> police academy it, it's right. wonderful i love wrestling it Wrestlers in Mexico are a uh, privileged class. Man, (laughs) whatever they do, they are blessed. I I love it. Now, I do like uh, who becomes the main villain because he's got this weird kind of (laughs) control over his men and women. They're all wearing these these necklaces, these chokers with this little box on it. Gas collars. I love that idea. Now, it's so good. You know, I, I don't know where the idea of gas came from. Because I've seen movies, and I'm sure you have too, or read stories where uh, I'm thinking of the Rutger Hauer movie for some reason or other, where they're prisoners and they're they've got collars that are linked to each other. And oh, if they get too far, what is that called? I forget yeah, what it is. I've seen but I think Mimi Rogers is the, is the female lead in that, doesn't she? Yes. Uh, that's going to bug me until I think of the title. But oh, well, but, I'll, we'll get back so to it. So they have collars, <laughs> and the, the idea of these prisoners is if they get too far away from each other, the, the collars mm. explode. There's an explosive in them. Yeah. And I've seen other movies like that too. You know, you got the explosive collar or at least an electric shock or something no these are loaded sure. with poisonous gas which gives us a really cool image when he decides the main villain decides that the person that signed to on them have in custody isn't going to talk we're, we're going to have to take him out we've got to kill him eliminate him and they, they're talking about it in this scene like you got to get rid of him yeah okay i'll get that taken care of how are you going to do that he's in jail somewhere you're so no you just press a button and the gas comes out it's brilliant i kept expecting like a buff henchman to break into the prison and get the guy You know, like that's like I keep saying, this subverts your expectations every scene. I love the idea that they have the gas collars. I love the idea that they that those gas collars were not brought up earlier. The fact that Malkosh does not have these gas collars, but his henchman guy liqueur does. Right. And like, there's so many things where I'm like, wait, I don't understand that. Yeah. Where'd the where'd the collar come from? And then we see that everybody else has one, too. Yeah. yeah, so they all start grabbing at their throat like, oh boy, you know, like, oh, you know, these... boss is killing henchmen again. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> we got to watch out. They, they go one step shy of like pulling the collar out. They're yikes, you know, just kind of. <laughs> <laughs> if they did like a Scooby-Doo look at the camera on like a gulp, yeah. <laughs> like it would not be out of place. I do like the image though of the guy and, and the poisonous gas apparently works really quick. Uh, the guy, oh, it's... The, the, the gas coming out of his collar and he dies and it's, it's a cool little horror horrifying image and he plays it really well he plays the panic like fantastically he he does not come from the same acting school as our previous big bad did who was just no. so over dramatic and over the top which i also love but for different reasons right right <laughs> <laughs> i feel like the, the point There's, of the movie kind of shifted yeah. gears here we, we've dealt yes. with the big bad. We thought, you know, the guy who was going to take all the gold. Now it's a matter of finding the scientist, Dr. Bernstein. Yes, because Santo just leaves the the blobs or like what the microorganisms that could become the blobs on the island. He's just like, well, whatever. Air Force is going in. It's their problem now. Right. 
and then once that guy dies and, and as Santo is interrogating him and, and all of that, Santo's like, Oh, I also got to find this Dr. Bernstein because the, uh, Malkash before he dies mentions him. Doesn't he? He comes up like once. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's something like something about the strange lunar sample. And Santo replies, I understand this has to do with the disappearance of Dr. Bernstein. B- what? <laughs> Was that ever brought up before that? <laughs> I don't know. Like I want, again, I watched it twice in preparation for this. Neither time did I ever hear anyone bring up Dr. Bernstein. Not until it came up when they were talking to the villain. Yeah. To the, the guy they have in custody. Yeah. It doesn't come up at all. And there's a bit earlier when a scientist and two other people who are like his assistants get killed by the blobs. And when Santo first brought up Dr. Bernstein, I was like, Oh, that was that guy. But then it wasn't that guy. No, somebody totally different. In that scene, right before they die, the doctor's like, uh, this is substance X, Y, Z, whatever. It's really dangerous. And then immediately they all get killed by the blob. And I kept waiting for that to come back. <laughs> and it, it, it does eventually. I don't. <laughs> I don't even know that it does. I don't know that it's just not a different thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. It totally could be. Totally Ugh. could be. Uh, this does give us an opportunity, though, to meet uh, our I, – I, I don't want to call her a love interest, but a lot of these movies, there's always uh, the professor's daughter, the the homicide detective's daughter. There's always the daughter of, yes. of one of Santo's allies that mm. kind of sort of becomes a near love interest but not quite. And in this one, we have Karen who's actually played by an Italian actress named Sasha Montenegro. She did a handful of these Luchador movies as well as a number of other films. Uh, I'm assuming also in Italy, but she was also mm-hmm. in the Mil Mascaris film, Los Vampiros de Coyacan. Um, I don't know. I'm uh, so I'm not sorry. I guess on that I'm one. I'm so sorry, but a uh, German Robles is in that one. And uh, that's a, hmm. that's a cool, well, I, I have not seen, I that love one. me some Mil Mascaris. Uh, the posters are cool. Uh, and I've seen some scenes from this film, uh, which are neat, but overall the reviews are not very kind to it, but she did a handful of these movies as well. And, and she's as good as any other female lead in these movies. Uh, that's, that's not a Luchadora film. Yeah. She's solid. Which are a whole different bag. And next year for Lucha de Mayo, I'm going to do some of those. But Oh, that's going to be great. Oh, man. Those are wonderful, too. Um, but, yeah, no, I, I like her, mm-hmm. um, you know, for what she gets to do, what she, she has to do. This is pretty early in her career, at least in Mexico. It's only like her third film. But, you know, she does what she needs to do. And she's going to be part of the plot or the plan to save uh, her father. Santos got a plan. Yes. Doesn't really tell anybody what it is. Just shows up and tells Karen <laughs> she's going to help and she's part of it. And when he shows up, her response to seeing a luchador like at her door is just to go, only one man shows up so suddenly to help someone, El Santo. And my first thing was, the mask gives it away, doesn't it? Yeah. <laughs> like, you should know he's El Santo before you go, ah, he came to help me. He must yeah. be El Santo. Yeah. Like, right before this, like, who are you? Yeah. Oh, like, who do you think, tights? lady? I've got a man, the mask. Come on. <laughs> he's wearing a cape. Only one man would come in without asking and wanted to, oh, come on. I love, but of course, of course, <laughs> Santo is so embedded in this culture, in this society. Of course, if it's Santo, somebody shows up to help, it's got to be Santo. It's not the police. No. No, it's not, not. It's, not, it's not. It's not the fireman. It's not, you know, an, an ambulance or a paramedic guy. No, it's Santo. Well, the the paramedic thing is is apt too, because Santo does like battlefield medicine later on and fixes her leg. Because of course he does. Because he yeah, went to that awesome wrestling school. He's fine with it. Hmm. 
Oh boy. <laughs> I I don't I don't even know anymore. It's, <laughs> it's so hard to talk about because it feels like they're all just a collection of scenes. Like it doesn't feel like it makes sense, even though it makes as much sense as we are making it sound like it does. We've probably spent, man, I don't want to sound too harsh, but we may have spent more time thinking about the story here than the filmmakers did. <laughs> Surely we uh, did. <laughs> yeah. Um, but really, if I had access to a Santo, you know, if I had access to a Mel Mascaris or a Luchador and a, and a camera and a whole bunch of film stock, I don't know how long I could hold myself back from saying, oh, let's just go shoot something. This is at the time when they were making a bunch of different Santo movies per year, like on IMDb. There's something like six uh, Santo movies listed with a release date of 1973. They're making movies just nonstop. Yeah. I I cannot even fathom how little time they had on each movie. So like it's, I can't even blame them for barely writing this movie because they got to move on to the next one right away. I, I'm surprised that they were able to maintain a wrestling career at the same time with I some of these imagine. things. And, I cannot and I, know, I know there were a couple of times when Santo didn't make a movie for a year or two because he was either in the ring or he got injured in the ring or something. But sure, I, yeah, I can't. It was 71 just a slow year or 73 just a slow year for Santo in the ring? Was he not? Yes, because he he just cranked them all out. Yeah, I mean that's that's. Another reason why Santo and the stuntmen all look vaguely tired in this one. I think so too. Like they are clearly being overworked. I think so too. And, and you know, we are in the seventies now. I think Santo's heyday was really probably in the sixties with those movies, but yeah. he's starting to, you know, get a little age to him, but he doesn't he, physically, he doesn't look like it physically. He's no, you know, this barrel chested kind of guy, but he's probably got a little bit of age to him. We're a little bit wearing. And he's, I think he's in his fifties cause he was born around 1920 and it's 73. Yeah. I mean, he can take me out. That's why I'm not saying, I'm not, <laughs> I hope I'm not saying, you know, I mean, he still looks good. Just, Oh yeah. After a while, it's the mileage, I guess, you know? Yeah. So yeah, we, yeah, I would love to be in the shape he's in at 50. Nah, That'd be the best. I'd take it now. <laughs> <laughs> just to sum up the movie, he, he makes his way to the, the military, the, the base of the bad guy. And instead of going through the gate, that's right there. He decides to hop the walls instead that are right next to the gate. Uh, he goes in and there's a bunch more fighting uh, with non-wrestlers or stuntmen. And then LeCour finally just walks up behind him and hits him with the butt of a gun. <laughs> like LeCour full on almost has like he has basically a reaction shot where it just cuts from Santo beating up like three people to LeCour. And LeCour is like, oh, I guess I can just go up there and hit him. <laughs> you have <laughs> like, the gun. <laughs> yeah, like shoot him. You're you're armed. He's close enough but far enough away you can get him. Like I don't understand. <laughs> but I do love that we get to see more Santo scenes. I, I you know Oh yeah. Just I could watch him wrestle for days. And and oh, I absolutely you know, it's not he's not really the most technical of them all. And, and, mm. and I know compared to like, say today's luchador or wrestling action, it's, it's a little bare bones, a little bit basic, but I could still watch it for just hours and hours on end. Um, sure. You know, the, the getting on the back and, and monkey flipping or gorilla flipping people over his head, you know, hopping up oh, on one guy's shoulder and then using the legs to flip somebody. Them. I just love it. I just, it's just so much it's, fun. And it's really satisfying. Like the way that Santo does. Well, again, another Superman thing of no selling when they hit him. Yeah. In, in like a wrestling match that might feel cheap, but in this, it just makes you be like, 
Oh, he's awesome. Yeah, of course. Of course. He's, it's, and he it's just Sancho. tossed his guys left and right. Like he's not concerned at all with them. You know, and the choreography isn't bad. I, the, no. the punches, the hits, you know, they, they look maybe not worthy of the sound effects that we're getting. Cause we're getting some pretty sure. heavy meaty sound effects, but they're still yeah. pretty good. Oh yeah, absolutely. And, and overall this whole movie, like all of the fights work. Most of the scenes at least feel like they know what they're doing. Overall, it's surprisingly competent for the amount that we've nitpicked. And the nitpicking is like out of love because this movie is wonderful. Part of the joy of it is trying to take apart the puzzle box of a film that they've built. <laughs> uh, I just watched Santo jump off a couple of boxes and take out a couple <laughs> of guys. Um, just... <laughs> That's why he's the best. <laughs> you know, it's it's got to be the most complicated way to deal with your situation because he's hiding behind the boxes. The the villains, <laughs> the bad guys, walk past him, don't see him. But instead of sneaking up behind them like a normal person, it's like, nope, I'm going to climb <laughs> over this thing I just hid behind and then jump. It's great. I mean, that's that's how a luchador does his thing, I guess. That is how a luchador knew. That <laughs> well, and the fact that the fact that. Like, even just first of all, the guy who died from the gas, Santo looks at his shoes and knows where in the mountains the bad guy's base is. <laughs> so he just drives to the mountains and just beats up 30 guys. Like, he doesn't even try to sneak in. He just walks up to them and starts hitting. <laughs> like, there's minor hiding, but only so he can jump on top of them. <laughs> it's so... Uh, it's It is bafflingly awesome yeah i mean I, i'm sitting here giggling we're both kind of questioning like what what the reality what am i watching here i, I yes. want to make it clear i got so much joy out of watching this movie oh, i yeah. had such a good time watching this film and the, the, the finale is just bizarre and again <laughs> it feels like it took another left turn like you know we're talking about how maybe they just said okay let's do this scene and let's stitch it together this yeah. scene I could see that happening or I could see them taking a break for a few weeks and then coming back. It's like, okay, now what do we do? How do we connect it? Because the scenes, the sequences, the story elements just are so disparate and mm. so different. Like we, we go from the beating up people outside the, the base to now we're in a cave and there's <laughs> what? Well, and, and like Dr. Bernstein like hacks his way out. And him and Karen, his daughter, like meet up with Santo and they're like, oh, let's get out of here. And they run to a car, but Santo doesn't have the keys. So they just run off into the field. And there's a good couple minutes of them just running around in the field. Right. And then all of a sudden, Santo turns to the other two and goes, all of the blobs have formed one big blob. Just randomly. Like, <laughs> I was like, how do you know that? <laughs> Lucha sense tingling. I know like, this. What are you talking about? And then just a giant blob comes over the hill and it's like, well, of course he was right. <laughs> what did what did you think of how he uh, so, how he saves the day, how he solves the problem, how he gets rid of the blob? It's another example of that same kind of thing that I was just talking about where Santa just knows things. And I find it so fun in the same way that like, again, going back to Superman, there are Superman comics in the 60s and 70s where it'll just be like, oh, I have this super ventriloquism power that'll solve this problem. And he just does it. And in the same way, they go into this cave that they're hiding in and Santo's like, Oh wait, I know this mine. There's poison gas in here. <laughs> How do you know it? Of, of course, of course there is. Um, if there is, shouldn't you guys be like getting poisoned? 
maybe that's where the poison gas from the the callers came from. I don't know. I'm here. Listen I, to me. Try to make sense out of this. I <laughs> never made that connection. That's great. You should have written this movie. <laughs> I should write a luchador film. Actually, I, oh, I, I really I, should. Just, just <laughs> look, dude. All I'm saying is, I want to write like eight luchador films. Oh so. yeah, I, I want to live in that world again. <laughs> I want these movies to exist again and be a thing again. I would love that if we got a luchador renaissance, like we're getting kind of a kaiju renaissance. That would make me so happy. I, I feel like we're so close. I feel like. You know, we've got Lucha Underground on the El Rey Network, which is amazing. Mil Moscris has made a couple of, like, three movies now within the past 10, 15 years. I, I feel like oh, yeah. we're just close enough. We, if we just, just maybe one more big cultural, sh- you know, thing to happen, sure. then maybe we can be back there. Well, I know, I know Guillermo del Toro was talking about doing a, a black and white Luchador movie a couple of years ago now, and it seems like he's just kind of given up on it. But I guess it was supposed to be like a tribute to Santo movies. It was going to be about a luchador who was retired, who found out that like all the politicians in Mexico are vampires. And it was like about him taking them out. And I'm so mad that he never made that movie. I want to see that. It breaks my heart because half of Guillermo del Toro stuff that he talks about in interviews just never gets made. I, I love Del Toro. I mean, he's Monster Kid done good. Uh, oh, yeah. You know, worthy of all the awards and accolades that he's gotten and then some. So many classic movies. Uh, amazing. So glad he's out there making movies for him and for us. I mean, it's mm-hmm. wonderful. But you're right. He's talked. So, there's been so many projects that he's talked about that just never happened for whatever reason. At um, the Mountains of Madness. I was going like, to say, bring up my Lovecraft thing. Yeah. That one hurts. <sighs> that one hurts so much. I would love to see that. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but there are there's some scripts floating around for that online, and I, I'm hoping that they were early drafts because they are not very good. They they feel like kind of a 1930s The Thing ripoff, and not in a good oh. way. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's it's a little bit of a bummer. But I I hope that those are early drafts or fakes. Hmm. I know he talked about it, talked about it, talked about that so much here, going way off track. I <laughs> uh, talked about doing that for so long, wanted to do it. And they talked about how Tom Cruise might be involved. Yes. All this mm-hmm. stuff. And then the studio said no R and he's like, well, they're not going to give me the money to do it. So it's, it's not happening. Uh, <laughs> when that announcement came out, when he said it wasn't going to happen mm-hmm. because of budget, I went to Kickstarter <laughs> and I submitted a campaign to raise a million dollars for Del Toro's out the mountain. Sometimes I don't know why they didn't approve that campaign. I don't understand. <laughs> I can't imagine. <laughs> uh, well, and, and the other thing that got it canceled was the Benicio Del Toro, uh, Wolfman movie, not making money. Yeah. yeah. Which I, I, I do like that movie. Cause I think it lands in a similar kind of dumb and awesome as, as the movie that we're talking about does hmm. but it really breaks my heart just thinking about that movie even though i love it because it means it cost us at the mountains of madness from guillermo del toro you know i have mixed feelings about that film but i will say that the music is some of elfman's absolute best mm-hmm. yeah it's fantastic. The, the score is beautiful in that film and i love the makeup too the makeup is so good now, baker was involved with that right i believe so yeah i think he did the like the overall design from start to finish now I want to go listen to that soundtrack again. <laughs> That's, it's gorgeous. It's so gorgeous. Ah, God, I got that movie playing again. Like I said, they're climbing the wall, even though the gate's right there. <laughs> <laughs> the amount that they spend, like they spend so much time just walking around the island that is rapidly being taken over by like a super blob and just very little concern. 
from any of them. Yeah. <laughs> and Karen falls down and breaks her leg. And Santo's like, ah, your, your leg's broken. I got it. And he yeah. just like snaps it back into place. It was like dislocated or something, her ankle. <laughs> <laughs> the fact that he's just so chill about everything in this. And it makes everything so much fun. You know, for all the, the I don't know I want to call it cheesiness, but for all the, the shortcomings that we're finding in some of the story elements and some of the things happening here, technically it holds up. There yes, are some absolutely. really great camera shots uh, when they're running away from the blob. There, there's some really cool tracking camera moves following the running. Uh, this mm-hmm. really cool. When they get to the car and he's like, there's no keys, follow me. We don't follow Santo and them running away from the car. The, the camera zooms in, goes through the car window, and you can see the blob coming up. It's some very competent camera work. Yeah, and even the action scenes are shot very cleanly. You can always tell what's going on. You can follow them. Like, it is it is genuinely well-directed. It's yeah. just that it barely has a script. Yeah, which which is probably its biggest shortcoming. Yeah, and, and I think also kind of its biggest strength because it brings me so much joy to watch any scene from this movie where it's just becoming different movies all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I love it for that. I'm mm-hmm. so glad you brought this to the table. I am so thrilled. I'm so glad you, that you dig it. I, I'm so happy. This is <laughs> so. We found it online on YouTube, and you know the downside to a lot of these movies is that they haven't had a domestic to us an American release. A lot yes. of them have been released on DVD in Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, but then you don't get the subtitles, and again, you don't necessarily need the subtitles for a lot of this. Although this one, it might help. Yeah, uh, <laughs> this one it adds to the fun because you have to understand things like gas collars or what these blobs are and where they come from. Or even why we switch villains. Like, you need it because of how confusing and utterly chaotic the script is. So if you can find this movie, I I highly recommend it. This is one of the most fun Santo movies I've ever seen, and I've seen quite a bit. It's Uh, so wonderful. This it's so great. Uh, I I love his cape. I I love the blob. They're as ridiculous as it is. Um, <laughs> I think Karen's great. Uh, I I think the gas color. And there's nothing about this movie that I don't like. I even like the music in this. Oh, it's got that jazz thing going on. Yeah, that weird kind of jazzy kind of. I wish. God, I wish that this music was available somewhere because oh. I'd be listening to this all day. This stuff. I would love that. You know, in, in these movies. I, I've heard them described as uh, like. You know, broken down ice cream truck music, um, you know, an ice cream truck if it was a Zamboni kind of thing. You know, just I've heard these movies described, this music and these things described certain ways. And I just love it. Uh, if I if I could find these on disc somewhere or cassette or eight track, I don't care. I would love to have it. I, I just for all of these Luchador movies. I just really want Criterion Collection to just buy up the rights to every Santo movie and just release them in like a big box set like they did with uh, the Zatoichi movies. Oh, my God. Like, can you imagine if they cleaned them all up, like had like Blu-ray quality prints, like subtitles, maybe even dubs if they wanted to to put in? Like, can you imagine how great that would be? Oh, man. Uh, Like they they picked up the rights to the um, Showa era Godzilla movies like they can do it. I just don't think there's enough demand for this, like specifically. Well, and and who owns the rights to these things now? And, and are there? Oh, I'm sure it's yeah. And, and are the original elements even available anymore, or or do all we have are right. these these video transfers? I I don't know. Yeah. Um, I'd like to believe that somewhere in Mexico there there's some prints <laughs> somewhere in some salt mine. I mean, it's a nice dry place in a lot of the parts of Mexico, so I mean, it'd be safe for film, right? Good. Yeah, I mean, anywhere not on the coast, yeah, probably. Yeah, I, I would love to think that that exists somewhere. 
but I have no. Oh, oh my god, that blob! Uh, <laughs> I keep as I'm talking, I keep looking over, and it's then classic. Oh, it's, it's... I want to see this blob in every other blob movie. Oh man, I want to see this in the '80s blob. I want to see this in the original blob, like all of them. <laughs> I love this blob design. It's so funny. It's great. I love the te- like you said the texture, man. It just. It's genuinely unsettling you know, it, <laughs> to look at the it texture. Is. It's just a shame it, that it's a bunch of guys crawling around underneath. Yeah. You see the outlines of hands and heads and shoulders, and it immediately ruins the illusion. <laughs> but it looks – I don't know how they did it. I don't know if it's yeah, – I don't know what it is, but it's great. Oh, yeah. It, it, it is so much fun just looking at the blob. If, if nothing else, everybody should watch this movie just to see the blob scenes. And even if you don't want to watch the movie, just watch the first, like – Four minutes, which is just the blob killing a bunch of people. Pretty much. It's so good. Pretty much. So highly recommended. One of my favorite Santo films. I've had a blast talking about this with you, man. This is such a fun movie. So cool. (laughs) Oh, man. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad that I could bring this to your attention because, like I said, I was very afraid you were not going to like it compared to the other ones you've been watching this month. But, man, I love this one. No, it's it's a trip, man. This this one makes me like Santo just a little bit more. I mean, I've always liked him, (laughs) but it makes me like him him even more. So it, it plays to his major strength, which is being very serious when the plot is very silly. That's the best way to put it. I think that's the best way to put it. There we go. Enough said. Check this movie out and check out Jonathan's podcast. Again, it's called X Meets Y. There's a Facebook page. And if you look it up in iTunes, it'll turn up. I'll make sure there's a link to the Libsyn page in the show notes over at monsterkidradio.net. And I can't wait for the next episode of your show, just hearing what it's going to be about. Oh, it's we got some good ones coming up overall. It has been one of the most creatively fulfilling experiences just to be very like just to have that craziness of half an hour make a movie you know mm-hmm. it's it's so much fun that's <laughs> the kind of stuff that you know monster movie or just movie fanatics in general talk about all the time except now you're recording it and sharing it with the world so thank you for doing yeah, that and, absolutely and welcome to the potosphere man oh thank you i'm just definitely gonna have to check out your show can't wait to hear it thank you i i hope you like it and you know keep in touch let me know feedback wise oh, yeah of course and we should have you back on the show again don't have to talk about luchador movies next time although i'm sure we probably will next year um but yeah let's have you back on down the line there's tons of stuff that i would love to i, I think on my thing i did you know i talked about the godzilla movies that's those are another one that i would love to talk about because those i think are, are very much kindred spirits to these luchador films yeah i i've always thought that there should be a crossover of some sort i don't know how uh, i don't know why i don't know how to make it make sense but i would love to see luchadors fighting kaiju i just want to see that i mean if a luchador like you could have like a growth ray you could have santo and godzilla team up against uh, mecha godzilla and megalon or something like it would be the best yeah i'm just i just want maybe like a luchador and a big mecha of some mech of some sort i, I just something uh, if it as long as the luchador mech has a mask oh, of course and not like a mask that's built in like it needs a full like cloth oh. mask that it slips over its lucha it's like mechanized yeah place. we're on the same page here man i agree 100 percent. 100 percent. we're in it we got this we got half the thing already like <laughs> we probably have more than the filmmakers had for this movie i'm just saying we do we surely we do I just, they had like two sentences that they brought to this movie <laughs> and, and, and one of them had the word santo in it that's that's, that's all you need. <laughs> yeah it was literally just somebody wrote santo and the blob and we're like well here we got a movie you guys <laughs> this is it this is gold <laughs> <laughs> this is the next one <laughs> 
You know, I think I've mentioned Libsyn a few times on the show. It's L-I-B-S-Y-N, Libsyn.com. That's actually where we host our podcast, and it's where X Meets Y hosts their podcast. Go check out xmeetsy.libsyn.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes. And by the time this episode goes out, the episode Godzilla Meets Old Yeller has hit the pod waves. So go check that out. Jonathan, thank you for being part of the show this week. It was a real treat to have you on. Man, I loved that movie. Santo versus the Blob was, uh, man, it was amazing. I can't wait to have you on the show down the line. Thunderbird International Pictures presents The Death Curse of Tartoon, a legend black with evil and red with the blood of innocent youth. Photographed in the forbidding depths of the Florida Everglades, this is the incredible story of an archaeological excursion planned as an educational adventure and ending as a blood-spattered nightmare of incarnate hallucinations. Cold and slimy creatures without mercy hunt and kill, controlled by the soul of a rotting corpse. They danced over the grave of Tartu, who was restless in his coffin, and made passionate love on his burial mound until... They faced the terrible reality of the death curse of Tartu. Was it really a killer shark in the swamp waters, or was it Tartu, who had sworn vengeance on all who disturbed his grave? If we sit here and wait, it's only a matter of time until Tartu will destroy us all. Thrill to the heart-stopping suspense of scenes that spare no detail of horror. See the bloody massacre of terrified youngsters as Tartu the Witch Doctor returns to wreak vengeance. See the death curse of Tartu coming soon to this theater. Foreboding place of no return. Hercules in the haunted world. An unearthly world of eternal darkness. Ghostly kingdom of the undead demons of death. From these horrifying, hideous creatures of evil, Hercules and his friend must save their doomed kingdom and the women they love. Hercules wants something. He always wants something. But when I return, I'll never leave you again. This I promise you. Hercules and Theseus battle treacherous, monstrous forces of evil in the forbidden depths of a haunted underworld. The stone you are made, and by stone you shall be destroyed! I will serve you as your slave as long as you live. Save me, I beg you! Stop! It's a trap! Don't trust the shadows of Hades! Nefarious, fiendish Lyco, masterminds of terror, must be destroyed. Reg Park as the heroic Hercules in the haunted world. So that brings us to the end of this episode of Monster Kid Radio. I want to thank everybody for listening and being part of the Monster Kid Radio experience for me, knowing that you guys and gals are out there nodding along, hopefully having as good a time as I am. Well, it means a lot. 
So thank you so much. Also, thank you for all the support, all the shares on Facebook, the retweets, the honest reviews on the iTunes store. Just, I love it. Thank you so much. It means a lot to me. It, it, it's awesome. I've also really enjoyed Lucha de Mayo here on the show. And I can't wait for next week because next week, man, uh, we are going out with a bang. We could have done another traditional luchador movie. We could have found a movie that didn't have an American release, didn't have dubs, only had subtitles because there was a, a very excited fan out there willing to do one. No, we are going out with an Americanized version of a luchador monster movie. We are seeing Samson versus the vampire women. Who's Samson? Well, he wears a silver mask. You know who he is. It's Santo. But when he was brought up here in the States for this release, he was called Samson. And you may hear my cat Wednesday in the background. She's really excited about talking about that movie. Next week with guest Jason Giaconetti. Jason is the main man over at the Bots, Bugs, and Babes podcast, which you can find over at 2TrueFreaks.com. And that's two, the number two spelled out. TrueFreaks.com. I'll make sure there's a link in the show notes where I put the what's coming up next week part of, well, everything you'll be able to find a link to jason's show as well and i play the promo here on the show i may have even played it on this episode i don't know i haven't really actually edited that part yet anyway that's what's coming up next week i mentioned the show notes quite a bit that's because i put a lot of information in there over at monsterkidradio.net you can find everything you need to know about the podcast including our contact information if you ever go to a screening like jeff polier did and you want to call in a quick review you can call me at 503-479-5657. That's 503-479-5MKR. Or if you want to send us an email, you can email me at monsterkidradio at gmail.com. And if Brenda's feeling up to it, we'll read the email here on the show and we'll turn that into a little feedback discussion. We also have links to our Facebook page and our Facebook group. Please consider liking the page and joining the group. And I put this out there last time. I think I'm going to mention it again. I've had a number of people sign up for what I call the Monster Kid Radio Gazette. I'll probably change the name of that. Anyway, that was supposed to be the monthly e-newsletter that I put together for listeners of Monster Kid Radio. Well, I haven't done anything with it in months, but that hasn't stopped people for enrolling, for subscribing. And while I think that's cool, I don't know what to give you. What do you want to see out of a semi-regular e-newsletter from me here at Monster Kid Radio? Would you be adverse to me putting some non-Monster Kid Radio stuff in there? And, you know, with everything with digital privacy rights and everything happening over in Europe, please make sure that you mean to be enrolled. If you subscribed by accident and I send you an email, it's it's cool if you unenroll I, I, or unsubscribe. I won't take it personally. Just make sure that everything's kind of in compliance with these new privacy laws over in the UK. I think that's it. So let's go ahead and wrap up and get this out. Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the music provided to us this week by the band Snorkel Surfers, which you can find at snorkelsurfers.bandcamp.com. Check out their release live at the jam room, Playa del Carmen, which is also the name of the city that you'll find them in Mexico. The song we're playing again is called Viernes de Cancena. It is the fifth track on their sixth track release. Check them out and let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. My name is Derek M. Cook. Talk to everybody next week. Ciao.